We have spent the last couple weeks delving into the misconnection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament has come under attack. It either is with people who are unfamiliar with it or very unfavorable opinion about the Old Testament. To where I can sarcastically say, I'm sure God is shaking in his boots when we don't accept the Old Testament. I don't think so. What is amazing to behold is how God has woven the message of both the Old and New Testament when talking about salvation and the person and work of Christ. This has been our theme lately. It's cool to see how God has melded objective natural world facts and then supernatural incidents to shed light upon the veracity of Christ as the Messiah. Under the Spirit, in Revelation, he utilizes the personalities of men and women and also signs and wonders in creating this revelation and the understanding of Jesus Christ. So faith in Christ is corroborated by hard physical evidence and then supernatural miracles like the resurrection of Christ. It's not too different than our salvation experience. If I were to talk to some of you, some of you have come to Christ through subjective experiences, maybe even a dream or some kind of passion you were following and um, God communicated to you in some subjective way. Or some have come to Christ basically through studying, understanding the, the prophecies or the veracity of Scripture. God uses the mind as well. The point is that it's not one or the other. It's the heart and it is the head. And the prophets were seeking to utilize both of those. Prophets were seeking to build our trust. In a most amazing way, Peter points out how the Spirit of Christ was involved in the Old Testament. The reason I make a big deal of this is because the, the Old Testament gets hammered today by pundits. And if you're not aware of this, then God bless you, don't worry about what they say. Um... I certainly don't mean to bring up doubts, but I want to bolster your faith and that what they'll say is all we need are the words of Jesus, and they'll even use the term spirit of Jesus. That's all we need. But we don't need the Old Testament, that, that mean, judgmental Old Testament we don't, we don't need. This is the way that people will, will categorize it. But what Peter is saying is the spirit of Christ was active in the Old Testament. The Spirit of Christ was at work through the Old Testament prophets who set their attention upon the Messiah. It was the Spirit of Christ in the Old Testament that accentuated his birth, his life, his suffering, 
his resurrection and over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that came true. The, the likelihood of that happening or being, a, you know, just a happenstance, ridiculous odds. Somebody told it to me this way. It would be like the entire state of Texas being filled with silver dollars two foot deep and having one of those with a little red dot that you put on it stuck in the middle and on your first try you get that one silver dollar. That's what it would be like with the 300 prophecies coming true in Christ. That's the chances. It had to be supernatural. This had to be true, that Christ was indeed the Son of God. You say, why is that important? Why are you making such a big deal about this, Kevin? I'll tell you why. It's because there are times in which our faith falters. And we don't see God at work. And we have to remind ourselves how God has intervened. And how objectively it has taken place, like through the person of Christ. So if, if that is true then the rest could be true too. If I could trust Christ for that, then maybe I can trust him today with what he's doing in my life. What a glorious thing to witness. These prophecies that have come, and, but something that Peter has said that is even more amazing, as bold and as glorious as all this is, guess what the capstone is? You. You are. The work that God has done in your life and you being the recipient of that, these Old Testament prophets prophesied so that we could benefit. It's an amazing thing. It is so glorious. It is so unbelievably true that angels are peering as if to look through a showcase at a Christmas display at Macy's. And there in the showcase are real live humans who've been touched by the grace of God. That's the reality. Wow. So let's stand and look at this passage in 1 Peter. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were, not, that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. Father, do a supernatural work in our hearts as only you can. May we leave this place different because your word is true and your Holy Spirit can do such a work and we invite him to do that in each of us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. One of the difficulties the past couple years 
has been trying to find objective news sources. One gets the impression that organizations are shilling for one party or another. And while headlines are usually presented in an urgent manner, you know, newsflash, it all fades over time. Right? This murder, that pandemic, this war, that president will all fade in time. My mother used to save, my mother and father used to save old newspapers. Now, there are not many of you that can remember this, but I remember when Kennedy was shot. I was about five years old, and we've got a, well, we had a newspaper until she threw them all away. Um, but she saved the newspaper of that, of when it said Kennedy assassinated. And there were others, like when Martin Luther King was assassinated, or the, the Vietnam War, or, or Watergate. If some of you don't know what that is, ask anybody over 40, they'll explain it to you, all right? Um, the point is that there's historical value to some of these events, but even that fades in time because there's going to be a new development, a new news flash that replaces the old ones. But consider this. The message of salvation is always relevant, always urgent, always deserving of a newsflash. The message is appropriate for every generation, every culture, every person. It's a divine message given by the Holy Spirit that will never become outdated. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in these things, that you have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The Old Testament prophets investigated a message of the coming Messiah, and they didn't fully understand, okay? Be encouraged. You're not alone. When you read things in the Bible and you do not fully understand, right? The Spirit revealed to these prophets that they were serving future generations with their investigations. And kind of a cool way to think about it. The least disciple now is in a better position to the highest prophet of old because we have the benefit of the New Testament revelation of Christ. Hmm. Knowing Christ gives us a clear picture of salvation. The prophets just knew a fraction of that. The spiritual blessing believers now experience are greater than anything that the Old Testament prophets imagined or what the angels could experience. They looked ahead 
and faith and Saul. As it were, two mountain peaks. One was Mount Calvary when the Messiah suffered and died. The other was Mount Olivet where Christ would return in glory. But they couldn't see what was in between. They had no knowledge of the church, the scriptures tell us. It was all just like a, a shadow, not a complete understanding. Having partial knowledge of the identity of the Messiah, his coming, his future glories, makes the evidence and the faithfulness of the Old Testament prophets to me amazing. Here are words I don't like hearing. And if you've been in pain, you've gone through a situation, we've all heard this said to us, and let me suggest you not say this to somebody else. You could always have it worse. Let me give you a clue. I don't find that inspiring. And when I read about the Old Testament uh, believers and what they went through, I know that I could always have it worse, right? But there is something that amazes me about it, and that is with their partial knowledge that they had, they were still willing to endure this. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went, in, uh, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Did you get that? They have not received what was promised. Earth, in some ways, feels like a desert. And that we know what life should be like. We know what the complete blessings of God are said to be like. But there's pain. There's travail. Between earth and heaven, it's hard. Now, not that God doesn't want to bless us. I believe he does. But the person who says that God wants you all healed now, wants to give you all the money now, that life is going to be seen with these rose-colored glasses, is not reading the Bible fully, completely, and understanding that life on earth is going to have travail. That's not all of it, but is going to have it. And I see what these Old Testament saints were willing to, to endure with a fraction of the knowledge that we have. It's amazing. It was limited to future prophecies, yet they were willing to endure death of loved ones 
and of martyrdom themselves based on what God promised. God did not deliver these people from their troubles until death. You may not like to hear that, but the hope becomes something that is palpable for us to hold on to, to keep us faithful. The future is guaranteed for us by the promises of God, but that doesn't mean we won't have trials now. And I would suggest that God is worthy of our trust because we have these objective realities, and I have witnessed it in the past, even in my own life, but at times he seems silent. And faith is hard to come by. Thomas Smale wrote this. When the prayer made in faith is not answered and the healing for which many have sought does not come, we are not to look for someone to accuse of failure in faith. Rather, we are to remember that besides faith, there is hope. Hope has to do with God's promises that are still future and hidden, just as faith has to do with God's promises that are here and now. To the person who's believed for today but has not seen the answer come today, there comes the call to hope. Hope says tomorrow also is God's. Enough has happened already to assure you that the rest is on the way. End quote. Peter writes that the recipients are hearing what was preached, what was preached I think he had in mind the apostles because that was the theme of the apostles' preaching was the gospel. But it's worth noting that the preacher's message was given by the Spirit of God. The preacher's message is not his own. I hope it doesn't come as a surprise to you that I am not here to give you my biases. I am not here to give you my political slant. I'm not here to give you my opinion. That God holds every person responsible teaching the word of God to cut it straight, to give it and explain it as it says, and not insert him or herself into the story and their biases. Give the truth as the Holy Spirit is given in the Scripture. And that means that there's going to be research and questions just like the apostles, just like the prophets. You have to study, you have to learn, you have to investigate. And I hope it doesn't come as a surprise. There's a lot of things I read I don't get, I don't understand. And even after studying, it's like, well, you, you give your best shot, right? <laughs> but we know the main course. But the point is, we study today just like the people of old did as well. The passage says this, things into which angels long to look. The angels are in the presence and the glory of God. Wow. 
We'll get there someday. I can't wait. I don't know about you, but I can't wait. The angels long to gaze at the demonstration of salvation. The Greek word actually means to stoop down, to take a look. Look at that. They can't experience it. They don't know the, the lows of sin, the glories of grace. There's just a, a head knowledge, but not an experiential knowledge. And it's with glee and wonder as they observe it. There are passages who speak to some of this. In 1 Corinthians it says, For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. In Ephesians, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, be, uh, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And in Hebrews, and to take which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? God has a specific job for the angels to do. There's probably, likely, been angel or two that have touched our lives and we haven't even known it. Something to think about. Angels announced Christ's coming and went to Zechariah and Elizabeth. It was angel who went to Mary and Joseph. Angels ministered with Jesus at his temptation. Angels communicated from heaven at the resurrection. It was angels who were at the ascension. Angels were involved in all of his life and ministry, but they cannot experience salvation. They do not personally experience the grace of God like we do. They can see it. They can marvel at it. They want to understand. But God has chosen us to be its recipients. Prophets could understand salvation in a very limited way. The apostles understood salvation in a way that angels can't because the apostles are sinful. We know that there's no salvation for demons and there's no interest on the part of demons to experience salvation. And while angels cannot experience salvation, they have a great focus on it because you know why? It gives them more reason to give glory to God as they see his wonderful work. And we are kind of down line from all of this to experience. We're the wonderful fruit of this work that God has done. 
that we may be the beneficiary of the proclamation of the ministry of the Old and New Testament ministers. Every time a new one comes to Christ, there are angels to stoop down, gaze upon them with amazement. Every time the grace of God is experienced by a believer in in suffering, as they continue to soak every last drop of the grace of God they can get for their life just to survive, or in some supernatural demonstration, the angels rejoice because the power of God is again demonstrated. Grace. It's why I'd like to hear from a couple of you about the grace of God in your life. So I'm going to randomly choose a couple of you. You are one brave girl today. You two know who you are. Come on up. And where's our microphone? Our cordless mic. There it is. This is Nathan and Jake, and Nathan, I'm going to have you go first. There we go. I'm thinking that's on. Okay. So um, give us just 10 seconds, who you are, your family, and then share with us how you've seen the grace of God displayed in your life, will you? So I'm Nathan Edwards. This is my wife, Rebecca, right here in the third row back there. Um, we've got three kids here, Ian, Alcee, and Adeline, been here with this church for 19 years now. Um, um, my story, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, parents are missionaries, you know, and spent most of my childhood involved in, you know, ministry stuff. Um, accepted Christ at the age of nine. Um, and Word of God was constantly, constantly before us. Um, I give you all the answers. It's, you know, it was just part of what our life was. But um, in the course of life, there were some things that not even go into, but there were some really nasty things that happened um, that were very hurtful for our family. Um, that had kind of set me on a path that I didn't even recognize until the past couple of years. Um, but there were hurts and um, difficulties that I'd 
you know, prayed about God, you got to fix this kind of thing. And it wasn't fixed. <laughs> um, and uh, there are there are struggles and there are pains that sometimes you can experience for so long that it's easy to start to identify with those. That becomes who you are. And while I would never have, um, I wouldn't have ever said it, but I had come to a point where I had really decided that, yeah, I knew, I knew God was in control. He, you know, I, I, we, on the mission field, we'd seen God work in some really amazing ways that, you know, it could only be him. <laughs> um, but I'd come a pla- to a place in my heart that I determined that God didn't really care about me. He's going to take care of the big stuff. You know, COVID hit. I'm like, you know, big deal. God's got it. But when it comes to the real stuff that you live with in your heart every day, I really didn't think he really cared. And honestly, I had become bitter about it. Um. But in the past couple years, uh, my family actually <laughs> sorry, <laughs> um, my family got hit really hard. And I've seen pretty ugly stuff over the years, but uh, um, some of that was some of the darkest times. Or some of the darkest times I've experienced. And... You know, over the years with the bitterness, I quit listening to God. Honestly, didn't want to hear him. I can say, oh, I would never have verbalized that, but that's really where my heart was. Um, but in the middle of the really dark times, I kept hearing my voice. I'm here. And uh, when, thank you, Sarah. Um, 
those times. And during that time, I, I felt the presence of God more real. than I had at least in a long time, maybe ever. <laughs> um, but going through that, you know, the, I had gone to a life group meeting with the Rogers group. and Luke had been challenging us, you know, to be thankful in all things, you know. We're told, be thankful in trial. And just... Going through that time, I was like, God, I don't see what there is to be thankful for in this. But he gave me a very direct answer. <laughs> and he, uh, let me know he was working in it. Things that I had been asking for for a long time. He said, I'm working those out in the middle of this. And so, opening myself up and learning to trust him again. Um, not easy it hurts um, but God doesn't waste our pain hmm. uh, you know have some they'll say yeah he well he causes it so well, sometimes there's discipline needed but we live in a broken world we experience pain and yeah it's over the past couple of years he's been teaching me a lot about learning to trust him with that with that pain that's really good buddy God doesn't waste our pain that'll preach man that's, that, those are wonderful words Jake a little bit about your family and tell us your story will you buddy yeah, sure. <clears throat> I'm uh, Jacob McCoy. Uh, everybody calls me Jake. Uh, I have my wife, Kira. Uh, I've got four kids, uh, Faith, Lillian, Bella, and uh, my eight-month-old, Levi. Uh, we've been at this church for going on five years. Um, so my story is, is kind of a long one. Uh, it's, it's kind of a, a year-and-a-half uh, time period that... You know, God had really showed up. Uh, so I, I grew up in southern Arizona, uh, me and my wife both. Uh, I went to a small church. I was saved at a young age. Uh, me and my brothers found motocross. Uh, my family was uh, fortunate enough that we could we could do that. And it was kind of my saving grace through the years. It kept me out of trouble. Uh, it kept me away from all the, the temptations that teenagers normally get. So it was really good, but it came with... A lot of, a lot of pain. Uh, I broke many bones. I was constantly busted or recovering. Um, 
uh, but it was good. Uh, so years went on, I, I continued to do that. Uh, then my my grandmother had remarried. Uh, he, the man she married, owned a rock and gravel company. Uh, he wanted to make it more of a family business, so he hired uh, me and my brothers and my mom and my cousin. Uh, so we were working there. It was it was really good. I had motocross going great. Career outlook looked really great. Um, around this time, I was in high school, and 9/11 and had happened, uh, and it kind of had sparked this this longing to to serve and be a soldier. So, uh, but I was still young, so it was just kind of sitting there, kindling. Uh, then some more time went by. And then 2003, the Iraq invasion happened, and it just kind of came back again, thinking about this longing, you know, to be a soldier. Uh, I was dating my my now wife. I was dating her, and I told her about this, and she was not thrilled. Uh, so she did a lot of talking. I did a lot of listening. And uh, <laughs> we uh, we kind of came to this this conclusion, you know, at the end of that conversation of, I won't join the Army as long as I have a good career and as long as I have motocross. And we agreed, and we went on. Uh, two weeks later, my grandparents got into legal trouble over uh, his side, uh, his, his children, a contested will. Um, their legal team advised that it would be best if they got laid off the family members. It was a conflict of interest during this legal battle, so they brought us all in, and laid us all off, all of their family. Uh, so we were a whole broken home at that point because every single one of us just lost our job. Uh, so I, I called Kira and I told her, well, maybe this is my time to really take motocross to the next level. I'll, I'll go pro and I'll put in all my energy and effort there. Uh, so two weeks later during a training session, I had a, a bad wreck. I broke my back. I broke both my arms. My shoulder was shattered. The plate and rods and screws and everything put it back together. I was in the ICU and uh, in the hospital for a little while. And that was it. And in two weeks, I had lost that career. I had lost motocross. And I, I felt like I was being led. So I healed up the best I could. And faked my way through some medical exams, and <laughs> and that's it. I I went in there and I I joined the army. Um, this is during a time period in uh, in 2006 when they were really ramping up in Iraq. They were doing a troop surge. So by the time I made it to my unit, uh, January of 2007, I was shipping off to Iraq. So I was there really quick. Uh, some months went by. That's pretty boring. My my occupation was in communications, so we just maintained uh, communications for the command. Uh, but we still had to make movement from our facility to our barracks every day. That was the same path. It was pretty boring. Uh, uh, at the end of our shift, uh, our platoon sergeant, he would give us all the news for the day, and he'd let us know if we had mail. And mail as a soldier is really cool. You know, It's kind of the only... Only thing you get to look forward over there. And none of us had mail, so we were bummed. So we, we decided to head out and head back to the to the barracks. And if you can imagine walking out of the church and making a right at the driveway and going to Republic Road and up that way, that's kind of the path that we would go to our barracks. Uh, but to, if you had mail or you needed to go to the command, you would turn left. Um, 
So, so for us, we're, we're heading out. As we're leaving the facility, another sergeant had just come from the command, and he said, hey, McCoy, that's me. He's like, you have mail. I was like, no. Platoon sergeant said, I don't have any mail. He's like, no, I was just there. You have mail. Oh, okay. So we get up to there, and we turn left, and we start heading down. A couple minutes, we just hear boom, 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 boom. The whole path off to the right had just gotten it hit with mortar attack. Just blew the whole road up. We had dove into the bunkers and stood there for a little while, you know, check, make sure we're still alive. And then we looked down there and we see the smoke rising up and we could tell it was our path that we would have been on. So we we're pretty shaken. We didn't give it much thought. We're just, now we're thinking, well, what's this mail? This is pretty good. Hopefully it's a bunch of junk food and, you know, this, <laughs> this blessing continues. And uh, <laughs> so we, we continue on. And uh, we get there, and the, the piece of mail is a postcard from my childhood church. And it just says, God loves you. Happy birthday. And they had sent it on 29 May. For my birthday, it's in June. And for some reason, it, re- relied, uh, it arrived on July 3rd. That day, we got attacked. Mail never takes that long to get there. And it just did, and it happened to be there on that day. So from from then on, I was my my faith. Even though I was saved at a young age, I felt like that moment, all of that leading me to that moment, just galvanized my my faith. Like I, I felt that he was with me, even though I wasn't being obedient, I wasn't being as faithful to him as as I should be. He was still watching out for me. That's that's my story. It's quite a story. Yeah, good to Thank you, man. God bless you. Thank you. You know, it strikes me that God is there in the midst of the pain. And God is there when he intervenes supernaturally. Let's thank him for that. Let's go to him now.